Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. This series is all about uh, Luke chapter 15, and that's where we're going to be today. And at the beginning, Pastor John uh, touched base at the very beginning of Luke 15, how there were three things that were lost. It talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son with an S, lost sons. That's why it's called prodigal, and we're going to explore that today. What I want to do, I know it's going to be a little bit lengthy. I just want to read to you the story, and I'm going to have it on the screen, and you can follow along. And then we're going to unpack it and go from there says this, this is Jesus talking. It says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. He said, your brother, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fat, fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and alive again. He was lost and he was found. I love this story. I want to unpack this a little bit. And one of the things that I noticed right away is there's a father and a couple sons, but there's no mention of a mom. Do you know why there's no mention of a mom? Because I've never met a mom that would admit that her youngest son ever did anything wrong. (laughs) Older siblings can say amen. 
There's another character that's not in the story, and that's a middle child. There's the oldest son and the youngest son, but did you know there's a middle child? They just left them out like they always do. <laughs> How many of y'all are the oldest sibling? Older, older siblings? How many of the youngest sibling? Everybody booze. <laughs> All right, if you're a middle child, raise your hand. Okay, look at me. Listen, listen. We love you. I've never met your parents, but I'm sure they love you. Stop doubting it. Get help. Okay, it's okay. The world's not against you. All right? All right, so Luke 15, verse 12, it says this. The younger son said, give me my share of the estate. Scholar and theologian Kenneth Bailey says this. He said, in all the Middle Eastern literature, aside from this parable, from ancient times to present, there is no case of any any son, older or younger, asking for his inheritance from the father who is still in good health. This is never thought of, never been done before. As a matter of fact, it's the equivalent of saying, you're dead to me. When you ask your father for an inheritance before they're even passed, that's like saying you're dead to me. I don't know if we have any Shark Tank fans. It reminds me of Kevin O'Leary. He's got this famous saying, this is Kevin O'Leary, if you're not familiar. And anytime he's trying to get a deal and the deal ends up going somewhere else, he just to kind of just wipe them off the face of the earth, he just looks at them in a mean, ugly way and says, you're dead to me. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And that's the heartbeat. That's the sentiment of what the younger son is telling the father in just simply asking this question. He's saying, you're dead to me. And that sounds harsh. And it's like, man, we would never do that to our fathers. We would never do that to God. But if I'm being honest, I think I've done that probably on many occasions to God. Maybe I haven't said those words, but I've thought something along those lines of, God, I don't want you around. You're, you're dead to me. You see what I mean when I kind of express that maybe you're the same is you're saying, I want to do my own thing. I want to have my own way. I want your resources, but not your relationship. God, I want your resources, but I don't want your heart. Um, I think when we do that, we say, God, you're dead to me. It picks up in Luke 15, verse 13. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. He ran away. I don't know how many of y'all either ran away or had a sibling run away when you were younger. I had a, I had a brother that it was like his hobby to run away. Like he'd just run away. It was like Tuesday, it's on the calendar, I'm running away. <laughs> Do we have any runners in the house? Lake County, Apopka, when you were younger, you ran away. We got some runners. And I remember my brother, he was a runner. I, I, don't, I remember he would just run away and I remember being young enough not to understand the whole story, but old enough to realize that's a horrible idea. <laughs> and I remember just thinking my, about my brother who would run away, I'm like, this makes no logical sense. Like you're 11. Where, where are you going? What is your 10-year plan? Like, how are you going to survive? What is your 10-minute plan? What, how, how are you going to survive? I remember just thinking all these, it makes no logical sense for an 11-year-old to run away. And yet he would. And then, at, just like it said in Scripture, he would come to his senses and come back home. And then you know what he'd do next Tuesday? He'd run away again. And he would just keep running away. And I remember thinking, man, this... I was like, man, my brother's just a moron. Like, man, you're just, man, what is wrong with you? You just keep running. Then you come to your senses, you come back, then you run away again. And I remember not long after I became a Christian, I was reading this text and I remember coming to this spot and I was thinking about my brother and it made me think about the Old Testament. 
Because in the Old Testament, the Israelites did the same thing. God was good to them and they would cling to God and then they would think that they didn't need God anymore because life was so good. So they ran away, thought they could do it on their own. And then the Israelites would come to their senses. They'd come back to God and they'd say, all right, God, we're with you. Everything would be good and favored. And then what they do next Tuesday, they'd run away. And, they, and in the Old Testament, when you read it, it's just this roller coaster of the Israelites. And I'm thinking, these guys are morons. I'm, I'm looking at my brother. I'm like, he's a moron. And I'm, and I'm praying and I'm, I'm listening to God. And God tells me, he says, Dustin, you're a moron. <laughs> and he said, you're no different than the Israelites. You're no different than your brother. If you're here today, I'm not saying that God's calling you a moron. I'm just saying that's That's our relationship. I I give him permission to speak directly to me. He said, Dustin, you're a moron. You're the same way. He said, I'm always so good to you. And then you think you have it all figured out and you just run away from me. You think you know it all. And then you realize you come to your senses and then you come back and then you run away again. And then you come back. He goes, you're no different than the Israelites and you're no different than your 11 year old brother. Every time you come back to me, you're better than when you leave me every single time. Question is, why do we run away from the father? Like, why would I do that? Why would the Israelites do that? Why would my brother at 11 think that he has a better game plan running away than in the father's house? And in 2020, there was top 10 YouTube videos of the year. And one of the number one videos had a clip in it that I saw And it said this, I think this kind of nails it. The person in the video says, I want to be my own person, my own identity, my own human being, and I want a life of no rules, no labels, and no restrictions. This is why we run away. No label. I don't want to be God's. I want to be my own. I don't want God to tell me what to do. I'm going to tell myself what to do. And we think that our ways are better, and then we always realize, you know what? We don't know what we're doing. We're a little bit confused. And, and I think today we have a culture, just like many times in history, where it's just clinging to this idea, you know what, don't tell me what to do. And what you need to understand when we have friends and neighbors and we have entertainers that say, I am my own person, don't tell me what to think or how to work or do this or do that, that is their theology. They may not call it theology, that's their theology. And that is not our theology and we can't get those mixed. Our theology, we hide it at the foot of the cross. That's where we get our theology. And we do get a new label. We are his, just like, um, just like Esther shared, we are his beloved. And that's where we get our identity. That's where we get our hope. Some of you may be in for a shocker when I share this next point. Hopefully you're not. We've all run from God and have done something scandalous. You see, sometimes when we hear a, a story or we watch a movie, we tend to always think of ourselves as the hero and not the villain. Like when I read that, so many of y'all are like, yes, I'm the father. That's who I am. But really the story is we are the, the prodigal that's running away. That's who we are. We've all run from God and have done something scandalous. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, we can often forget this. As a matter of fact, there was a guy that was in prison. He kind of had this self-righteous mindset. He was a Christian. He said, man, I just wish they would come up with Christian jails. That way they could put the Christians in there so we could avoid all these sinners. (laughs) Y'all can talk about that on the way home, okay? You see, he's in jail and he's still in denial. 
that he's a sinner saved by grace. And here's the deal. When you and I forget that we are the prodigal that runs away from God, we, we are in danger of without knowing it becoming the older sibling. When you and I forget that we too have become scandalous and run from God, we are in danger of slowly becoming like the older brother, self-righteous with a hard heart. Henry Nouwen says this, he says, I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. Isn't that good? Luke 15, 14 goes on, it says this, he says, after he had spent everything, after after the younger son took off and he spent everything. And the, and the word prodigal doesn't mean wayward like we would think. What really the word prodigal means is, is to spend until you have nothing left. To spend until you have, and some of you know exactly what that feels like. You're here and you didn't realize how prodigal-like you were because you're completely spent emotionally. Like your emotions, you're just spent. You came in here and your tank is on E. Socially, you're just spent. You're thinking, man, I've just worn myself out trying to give, give, give to everybody, and I'm spent. Financially, you're spent. Professionally, you're spent. And that's what it means to be prodigal, to spend, to, to spend till you have nothing left. In Matthew 5, 3, this is what Jesus says. He says, you are actually blessed when you're at the end of your rope, because with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. A buddy of mine said it like this recently. He said, just because you feel like you're done doesn't mean God is done with you. And I don't know how you came in here today, either full or on empty, but I just want you to know that you have the capability of leaving here full. Luke 15, 16, it goes on. It says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And this is the hard reality and the truth of God is that he will allow us to drive and go anywhere, even if that means off a cliff. He'll allow us to wreck our lives. If we want to run away and make a mess of it, he'll allow that. I played baseball growing up, and I remember one time in high school, I was on first base, and if you're not familiar with baseball, the way it works is I was on first base, and we had a guy that was at bat, and he hit it to the fence, and so I'm thinking there's a chance from first I can score, and so I immediately take off to second base, and, and when you round second base, what you do in baseball is there's a coach that's uh, around third base, and what you do after you pass second base is you lock eyes with that coach, and he's going to give you one or two signs. He's either going to tell you, hold, hold, hold right there at third base when you're coming, or he's going to kind of wave you on and tell you to go home. And I guess I kind of looked at the coach a little bit late. And when it got time for me to look at the coach, I'm a little bit closer to third than I should have been. And the coach is not giving me a signal. He's doing this. And I'm running as fast as I can. And I go, uh-oh. And now I got to make a decision. Do I stop or do I go? And I don't know how to stop. So I just keep running. And let me just tell you, I was out by a mile. I was thrown out. It was so embarrassing. Both of the fans in attendance booed. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. And after the game, I came to the coach and said, coach, why didn't you give me a sign? What was going on? And he said, well, I know that you looked at me too late and I know that you already had in your, in your mind what you were going to do. And no matter what I told you, I wasn't going to be able to stop you because you already had in your mind what you're going to do. So I was just going to let you get thrown out. I said, you knew I was going to get thrown out. He goes, oh yeah. <laughs> coach. It's the only time I'll say that my coach is like my God in that one instance. He's going to just let us run, even if it means we're going to get thrown out. And some of you have some serious pain 
because of some of the decisions that you've made. I have pain that I've created in my life because I've ignored my coach and I just kept running when I should have waited. Luke 15, 18 and 19, it says, I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I gotta imagine as he's doing this, he's rehearsing the speech. I don't know if you've ever messed up as a kid. When you're a kid and you mess up bad, like it's obvious bad, I don't know how you did it, man. I would write up my speech. I would say it over and over again. I would practice the tears. I would do everything to get it right, to get my story going, because I knew, man, a world of hurt was about to come. And I gotta imagine this journey back home, he had to rehearse it over and over. And every time he did, I bet he uncontrollably just began to sob. And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know why when we run away from home, when we run away from God, why it takes us so long to come back. I think the number one reason is shame. I think the reason it takes us a while to come back is because of shame. And in the Talmud, which is the Jewish law, there was a a ceremony process that would take place with a pot. You see, any time that a, a son would receive his inheritance and he would go off and blow it on wild living with the Gentiles, when he would come back home, they would do something called, a ceremony called Kiseza. And what Kiseza was, is this ceremony that the whole village would participate in. They would take a pot like this and they would fill it with things that just were very, very bad smelling, very foul. And they would take it. And what they would do before the sun would even enter in the village is they would walk ahead of them and together they would take the pot and they would just throw it down. And they would just break it. And this stench just came over the sun. And as he's coming into the village, the stench just entrenches the son. And what it was, it was to shame him and to let him know that he's been cut off from the village forever, that he's not welcome here, that he has been shamed into exile. And scientists tell us, and we know this to be true, that one of our greatest memory senses is smell. And so you can imagine the rest of his life, he didn't forget this smell of shame. And they did it so often that they actually had a word and a ceremony for it. Kiseza. And the problem is we hear this story and we have experienced a version of this story. And some of you think that you have a vase that if you were to come back home, you have a vase and it says your, your name on it. That if you were to come back to the house of the father, that you can't do it because there's a vase with your picture on it. And you can't risk being rejected or shamed again. And so you rather, you know what? You rather just stay back and at bay instead of come to the father and experience the shame of being rejected ever again. But what we know about Christianity, what we know about the father is that there is fake Christianity, which is a powerful force of shame application. And then there's true Christianity, which is a powerful force of shame removal. And guess what? We are the village. We get to dictate when people come here whether or not we pick up a pot or extend a hand. 
And over the next month, as we invite people to hear the greatest story ever heard on Easter Sunday, they're going to come and this is what they're scared. And this is what they're thinking they're going to get. And we get to give them a different picture and we get to take the pots and drop them before they even get here. We don't have to fill the pots with shame when lost people come here. We don't have to slam. We don't have a ceremony. We are not Jewish. We don't participate in that. We are Christians that are full of the grace and the love of hope of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And when people come here, we get to extend that because they're not assuming they get that here. They are not assuming that grace is found here. And if so, we are neutral. It's not going to be good enough. We can't just be neutral with grace. We have to be givers of grace. Maybe some of you are exactly that. Maybe that describes you. Maybe you've been coming physically, but spiritually you've been apprehensive because you thought this is what you were going to get. And it, it breaks my heart. Because you have been shamed by somebody and there is scar tissue. You've been shamed by a parent. You've been shamed by a friend. You've been spiritually shamed by a spouse. One that's very real and breaks my heart is many of you or some of you have been shamed by a Christian or the church. And you think you understand how the true picture of God is based on man's broken interpretation of it. And it's not. It is so much better than we could ever imagine. My counselor, Dr. Chip Dodd, says this. He says, God's response to our brokenness is repair, not replacement. However, but you'll never overcome your brokenness until you come home to his love. And I don't mean just come home physically because or else I'd be preaching the choir. You can be here physically and not be here spiritually. That's the older sibling. And we'll get to that in a couple weeks. But don't assume just because you're here means you're here. Luke 15, 20. That's where it gets good. But while he was still a long way off, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. This is happy hour. And the reason that I'm an emotional is um, every time I read this, I understand this verse so well that while I was a long way off, God ran to me with compassion. And I don't ever want to forget that. You see, I was 16 years old and I was far from God. On the outside, it looked like I was close to God. On the inside, I was far from God at 16 years old. And just like this verse says, while I was still a long way off, the father ran to me with compassion and hugged me. That was when I was 16. When I was 20, I was a long way off and the father ran to me with compassion and he wrapped his arms around me. And that was at 20. And at 30 years old, I was a long way off. And the father ran to me with compassion. And he put his arms around me. And he said, you are my beloved. Just last month, I was a long way off. And the father ran to me. And he embraced me with compassion. 
You see, we get this mindset that we think that returning home is a one-time event, and it's not. I drift every single day, which means I need to repent and return home every single day. And I am always a long way off. And even though I'm a long way off, the father runs to me, pursues me, and he wraps his arms around me, and he says, this is my beloved, and we're going to party. The younger brother confessed his mess, and I want you to watch how the father responds. Luke 15, 22, it says, but the father said to his servant. So the son just confessed. Like the son just says all this. The father, this is literally the response. He, he ignores everything the son just said. The son just said, hey, I've made a mess. Of my, like the speech that he rehearsed doesn't even get a mention. Like he rehearsed this whole thing over and over. He confessed this and then it's completely ignored by the father. It says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. I don't know what you would have done in this scenario. I would have thought that maybe my dad didn't hear me. Like literally, that would have been my reaction. Like, dad, this is, like, you didn't understand what I just said. Like, I, I, I wrecked my life. Everything you gave me, I, I, I spent it. I wrecked. You don't know the sin that I've done. Like, you're misunderstanding because clearly you're throwing apart. Like, you don't understand. And what we don't understand is when we come to the Father and confess sin, he is quick and eager to forgive you. And he's quick to lavish his love on you and me. And there's a saying that I think about all the time when it comes to sin, when, when you and I try to cover up our sin, God always uncovers it. When we try to cover up our sin, God uncovers it. But check this out. When we uncover our sin, you know what God does? He covers it up. That's what happened here. The son came home, he's uncovering his sin. And what does the father do? No, no, we don't got time for that right now. It's time to party. And we're so late to uncovering sin, but really that's the way we get back to intimacy with the father is when we uncover the sin. Everybody around you already knows your sin. You're the one that's late to the party. God already knows your sin. And so when we uncover it, God covers it right back up. And I don't know what sin you've been covering up, but God wants, to, wants you to uncover it so that he can embrace you and forgive you and throw a party for you so that you can stop running. He wants it for you not just for him. The father ignored him, and it says that he ended up throwing a big old barbecue party. As a matter of fact, this is where the first Sonny's franchise started. <laughs> the Greek for Sonny's means I have forgiven my son. I made that up, but it sounds like it would work. There was a newspaper that once posed a question, and it said this, it said, what's wrong with the world? And it had people respond and answer. The Catholic thinker G.K. Chesterton wrote a brief letter in response. It said, dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? I am. When we uncover our mess, God is quickly to cover it. And it only happens through Humility. 
I want to close with a, a famous story maybe you've heard before from Ernest Hemingway. It's one of my favorite stories. There's a story of a father and a son. And the son is a troubled teenager like many of us have been. Some of us currently are. And he decides, like my brother, you know what, I've had enough. I got a better game plan for my life. I'm going to run away. And they're in Madrid, Spain, and, and this son runs away and just completely resilient and brokenhearted and desperate. The father constantly is looking for his son to no avail, so he takes out an ad in the paper. And this is what he says. He says, Dear Paco, meet me in the front of Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, Papa. In Madrid, Paco is more of a common name, and the next day at that location, there were 800 Pacos that showed up. <laughs> because there are 800 Pacos that have run away. There are 800 Pacos desperate to be reconciled with the Father. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been running from God one way, shape, or form. And it doesn't have to always be major. There are times that God has just given me a very specific word to, hey, Dustin, I want you to do this. And I said, no, nah, I'm good. And I ran. It wasn't massive, but it was disobedience. And I was running from the heart of the Father. Sometimes days, sometimes weeks, sometimes years. I don't know what you're running from but I would encourage you today, would there be reconciliation? Would you return to the Father? Because he only has one thing. He doesn't have shame. He doesn't have this. He doesn't even know what this is. He only knows what this is. Ephesians 2 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How are we brought back? How, how do we solve the shame and the sin problem? It's by the cross. And the Father sent his only, one and only Son to stretch out his arms on a cross for you. And it was not to shame you. It was to forgive you. And, and what a mess we would make it if we thought the, the cross was a form of shame and we ignored it our entire life instead of a form of healing that we run to and receive intimacy once again with the Father. This would be my encouragement. There is some people that need to do business here, some people that do need to do business with God online and at Lake County, and I would say do not let this service go by without adamantly running back to the Father. And we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that here in a minute. But first, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you. You don't even know what Kiseza is. There is no shaming ritual in your arsenal. There's only a, from a long way off, you run to us with compassion. And you don't do it one time. You do it daily, over and over and over again, because we drift daily. We run from you daily, over and over again. And so we cling to the promise of, of Proverbs 3, that we would trust in the Lord. 
in all of our ways. We, we would acknowledge you and you would direct our paths. And so God, your ways are better than our ways. Would you forgive us for all the times that we have forgotten or neglected that your ways are better than our ways? Would you forgive us for the times that we've rejected the label that you try to give us of beloved, of your child, and we wanted our own label or our own set of rules? only to find out that later on we came to our senses. And God, I pray that this, this morning, would there be people all around this campus, Lake County and online, by the power of your Holy Spirit right now, in the name of Jesus, that would come to their senses, not because of their willpower, but by your grace. And would they have a light bulb moment today and they would stop running home? Would they stop idling, wondering if they could return? And would they run to the Father today? And God, I pray that today would be a, a life-changing day for many, for many, and that your house would be full of laughter, of joy, of, of brothers and sisters returning home, of older brothers embracing younger siblings. But we can't do this apart from you. It, it takes you. And so we ask, we beg, and we invite you into this time, into this space. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.